Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your strength. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would continue your work in each of our hearts. Speak to our hearts in such a way that we would be drawn closer to you. And God, that we would be better equipped to serve you more effectively this week than we did last week. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name and for sake, God's children say amen. amen. Open your Bibles tonight to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and we will begin reading in verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Could you turn me down just a little bit, Brother Mike? I'm hearing a little bit of echo or something, and I think I'm a little bit too loud. Do y'all agree? Are y'all good? Okay, all right, as long as you're good, I, I can live with it. All right, verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Looking at verse 17, wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I want to begin a three-part series tonight on what I would like to call Sanctification, Does It Really Matter? Sanctification, Does It Really Matter? Let's just be honest, it seems like today the the world is getting more churchy and the church is getting more worldly. It seems as if the church is giving a pass to just about everything under the sun in the name of trying to, quote, win the lost. And in doing so, we have essentially, in many places today, lost our uniqueness we have lost our identity we have lost our distinction and our purpose for being here and there is a thing in the bible called sanctification 
You are saved the moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens instantly. Salvation does. However, sanctification happens through a process of time from the time you begin your journey with God until you breathe your last breath or heaven calls you home through the rapture, you are living perpetually in a state of sanctification. The word sanctification uh, literally means to be set apart. And, that, and it doesn't end there. It's not just to be set apart. It's to be set apart for a purpose, for a divine purpose. You need to understand that if you're saved by the grace of God, God saved you to make you peculiar, to make you different, to make you stand out and rise above the filth of this world with the hope of the gospel. And you cannot win the lost by letting them win you. There is to be a difference between the saved man and the lost man. And I'm afraid that too many times Christians today, they may mean well, but they do much destruction to the cause of Christ in trying to blend in with lost people in the name of trying to win them. When Paul the Apostle was teaching about becoming all things to all people that by all means he might save some, he was not talking about compromising convictions or living an ungodly life. He was simply talking about meeting people where they were, no different than what Christ did when he came down to where we were. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He, he ate with publicans and sinners, but he never once sinned. He was different. He loved the sinner. Yes, he hated the sin, but he loved the sinner, but he did not participate in their sin to try to prove to them that he did not condemn them or whatever. He, he simply came, and he didn't even condemn them, but he also certainly did not condone their lifestyle. And today Christians are afraid to speak what the Bible says on the subject of sin on any given matter. And for, for, the, for, the, for the specific reason that we're afraid that we will lose audience with those that we're trying to win. But the truth of the matter is, if they see no difference between us and them, what would compel them to come to our side? There has to be a distinction. So I want to answer the question biblically, does sanctification really matter in 2022? Uh, looking at Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible said, and that you put difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. And so the Bible all throughout Scripture teaches that there is a distinct difference between that which is holy and that which is defiled. So number one, and this will be my subject tonight, sanctification is a matter of distinction. It's a matter of distinction. I could take you to Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 26, which illustrates a principle very powerfully. Let me read you the verse and then I'll draw the principle from the verse that helps us better illustrate what we're trying to say tonight. It said, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things, 
they have put no difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. God was speaking, of course, of the prophets who were not obeying the word of the Lord and putting difference between that which was holy and that which was unholy. It's no different today, really. You see this too many times in today's world, in today's world of supposed and alleged Christianity, where the gospel is so watered down that you wonder if you're sitting in a church house or a social club, or as we preached about this morning, some kind of a, uh, some kind of a motivational speaking event. Because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want people to know that they are, in, uh, in fact, in trouble with God because of their sin. And, of course, we quickly cower to the critic that says, Judge not, lest you be judged. And every time we bring up sin and how they need to acknowledge the fact that they have found, been found wanting in the eyes of God, that they have sin in their life and that their sin offends the Holy God, what is the first thing that we have given the world permission to do? We have given them permission to instruct us to not mention it because as soon as we mention it, they claim that we're placing judgment on them and we buy it we buy it and so we mention it very seldom if ever if ever but let me tell you something a sinner needs to know that they're in trouble with God and they're going to learn that by hearing a preacher hearing a Christian that is willing to teach the gospel to share the gospel very clearly you don't have to be rude about it you can be tactful but you need to be truthful and you need to be honest and you also need to be willing to live differently than the world that you claim you're trying to win to Christ uh, I would venture to say the best way to win an alcoholic to Christ certainly is not to sit on the bar stool with him and turn up a few beers while you're talking to him about Jesus. Can I get an amen? I'd, I'd venture to say that there's probably a better method to winning the lost than intermingling with them and participating in their sinful activities. And so I think we need to get back to this. We need to sound the alarm and just caution, especially younger Christians today who are inundated with all kinds of vain philosophies and men's coming from places that are supposed to be Christian authorities, but they are teaching a weak gospel that is afraid. It's like a, a toothless tiger. Uh, it, it has a lot of roar, but it has no claws and it has no bite. If you look at the text tonight, you see then that sanctification is a matter of distinction. The Bible said in our opening text, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And we often quote that in context of encouraging a young uh, couple to make sure that they are both believers before they enter into holy matrimony. And that is Certainly a good way to apply that principle, but this verse is much broader than the subject of marriage itself. It is 
in fact, dealing with overall lifestyle as a Christian. That we are not to yoke up with others who are unbelievers in such a degree. You know what it means to be yoked up. It means you have to be in sync and in step with them, laboring together for a common purpose. And the truth is, if you're saved and there's they're lost, you're going to be striving against one another. You're going to be going two different directions. You're going to try, and one's going to be stronger than the other. And it's a whole lot easier, it seems, for lost people to pull Christians down than for Christians to pull lost people up. So you need to learn this principle that there is some separation now, I'm not talking about separation in terms of, uh, of, it, uh, of completely separating yourself from real world life. Jesus said, you're in the world, but you are not of the world. And that's what we want to deal with with sanctification, is not being of the world while you're in the world. And if you're living right, if you're living according to the principles of the book, the Word of God, there ought to be a difference between a Christian family and a lost family. And God have mercy on the Christian families today that invite their lost friends over and they can't tell any difference between the way they live and the way their lost friends live. Something is wrong. When we look at this matter of distinction, we understand that sanctification... gives you a distinct and new heart your heart is new verse 14 goes on and says for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness the word fellowship here means participation it also means mutual association of persons on equal and friendly terms if you have a new heart in Christ, you're not going to be able to fellowship with unrighteousness. It's not possible. And if it's happening, something is wrong. Because when the, uh, the process of sanctification begins to work in the life of the believer, you are given a brand new heart. And all of a sudden, the things you used to like as a sinner, you detest you're uncomfortable with you can't sleep at night and you can't have a good clean conscience because you have the work of the holy spirit on the inside of you constantly sounding the alarm you're different now you're better than this you redeemed you're bought with a price therefore glorify god amen church you got to get you got you get a new heart not only is your heart distinct and new and different uh, you, you get a new heart, but you also get a new partnership. Look at the verse again, verse 14. It also goes on and says, And what communion hath light with darkness? This word communion means partnership. It means interchange of transactions or offices. It means a state of giving and receiving. How can you be a partner with darkness now that you claim to be a child of light? You may find yourself in situations where you have to uh, 
try to cooperate as much as you can on the job with those who do not believe in Christ. But when it comes to ethics and when it comes to morality, the Christian is expected to draw the line for the sake of the gospel and for the honor of the Lord. We cannot simply blur the lines. We cannot simply uh, dodge issues. We cannot uh, intentionally just cross lines that we're not supposed to cross as Christians just to be pleasing to the lost world, just to go with the flow, just to swim downstream with everybody else. God called us to be different and we are in partnership with a holy God and God does not want to be dragged into our mess. So sanctification brings us a new heart. It brings us new partnership with a holy God. We've quoted this many times. I'll read it again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Can I tell it to you this way? No more cutting deals with the devil. Now that you're saved. Amen. There's a difference. And it's not that Christians can't sin after they're saved. It is certainly that they shouldn't. And when they do, they should be grieved by it. I like the way uh, an old country preacher said at one time, uh, the difference between a sheep and a pig the sheep representing the Christian and the pig representing the lost. The pig can wallow, wallow around in the mire and enjoy every minute of it. But a sheep can get down in that mud and that mire and be absolutely miserable. And if you can love sin and wallow around in it and prance around in it and dance around in it and love it and want more of it and can't get enough of it and all of that, then my friend, according to the word of God, you are not a new creature yet. I'd check up if I were you. I'm not trying to cast that on anybody's salvation unless it's warranted. But there's a new partnership and God wants to work with us to begin that process of setting us apart in our thoughts, actions, and deeds, and attitudes, and all of the above. You get a new heart, you get a new partnership, and lastly, I want to say this, you get a new spirit. Look at verse 15, what concord hath Christ with Belial, which is a false god. That word concord means union in opinions, sentiments, Views or interests. It means to be at peace and in harmony with another. And again it says what concord, what peace and harmony and union can Christ have, the true God have with a false God, Belial. This ecumenical movement that we have in the world today where they're trying to just merge all the major religions together and let's just all hold hands in a big circle and sing kumbaya. It's heresy and it's right out of the pits of hell. We are not called to get along with all the religions of the world. 
We're called to exclaim Christ in all of his glory and all of his splendor. And those who yield to Christ can be unified with the one true and living God. You want unity in the world? Let everybody unify at the foot of the cross and that will bring world peace. The reason we will not have world peace is because we as a whole of society refuse to bow both knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace but a sword. Jesus didn't mean that he didn't want peace. What he was saying was that his very presence brings a sword because of the stubbornness of men's hearts. And if we want world peace, we could all get it if we'd all unify around the cause of Christ. Amen? And God wants us to realize that he gives us a new spirit. In fact, our spirit is, was dead before we got saved, and now it has been made alive. It, says, it goes on and says, What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? If the Spirit of God is living on the inside of us, it ought to grieve our hearts to try to, try to blend in and merge in with ungodliness and heresy and wickedness and falsehoods Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 reads like this and you hath he quickened or made alive who were emphasis on were who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had, past tense, our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, once you're born again by the grace of God, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Amen. And you are higher than who you were before you got saved. You're on a different plane, a different plateau and and if your past is still your present then you still don't have a future if you're still living in yesterday and there's no sin that's been corrected in your heart or life you've seen no work of repentance what did john the baptist ask for he said bring forth fruit meat for repentance what he was saying is show me some evidence that you actually have turned your heart over to god before you ask me to baptize you it's believer's baptism. Baptism don't save you. It's a confession of what has already supposed to have happened in your heart. Amen. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of the importance of the process of sanctification and, and that it should be prevalent in the life of the believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. There's the word. Sanctified. Ye are set apart. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. New heart, new partnership, new spirit. How 
can we claim salvation when we do not participate in sanctification? Or do we redefine sanctification and say we have it <laughs> and live in denial to the corruption of our own heart? God help us tonight to realize the answer to this question, does sanctification really matter? It, cer it most certainly does. And, and we'll elaborate more on this in the weeks to come. Next week, Lord willing, we'll de deal with uh, the fact that sanctification is a matter of representation. We'll talk about that next week. But understand, sanctification is vitally important. And we're not teaching this so that we can develop a sense of holier-than-thou, a sense of arrogance, a sense of religious pride. It's not about that. It's not about that. Jesus didn't have one ounce of pride in his heart or in his life. And he was the holiest one to walk amongst us. Amen. You can live holy. You can be happy. And you can be humble all at the same time. And that's what we're striving for. So that we can be effective in representing our Lord. And we'll elaborate more on that next week. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the word of God tonight. I pray that you would work in our hearts and help us to participate in your plan of sanctification for us. Lord, to make sure that we're not being lured into compromising places that cause you much pain and discomfort and, and that frustrates the gospel and frustrates the grace of God in our lives. But help us to participate with your plan so that you can effectively use us to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus so that we might witness others coming to know the same Lord and Savior that we have come to know and trust and love. We pray and ask it all in Jesus' name for sake. God's children say amen.